0: Hey, Yanis, Nick here. I just wanted to pop in and give you a bit of a heads up about this particular episode. When I was looking at season one and deciding how many episodes I wanted to do and what I wanted to do at the end, I thought it might be kind of fun to share some of the episodes of other people's podcasts that I've been interviewed on about yin yoga. So that's what I'm doing here for a few episodes. I'm calling this little mini series, share the love. In this episode of share the love. This is a recording that I did with Pamela crane of the yoga pro podcast. Pamela's actually been on this podcast as well. um, In season one, so you can go back and listen to that episode where we talk about interoception. And this is an episode that I did with her on her podcast about therapeutic yin yoga. I hope that you enjoy it.
1: Welcome to the Yoga Pro Podcast brought to you by Interoceptive Performance, offering individual and group programs to help you overcome fears and imposter syndrome to be your most confident self. Every Wednesday, a new episode drops with interviews and solo insights to help you with your yoga business. I'm Pamela Crane, a certified yoga therapist, commercial and film actor, dancer, and broadcast journalist, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we are talking about therapeutic yin yoga. I can't wait to get into the topic, and our special guest today is Nick Daniel. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so glad to have you here. I've been following you around, and I love your style. I love everything about what you're doing so i'm so glad you're here i want to talk a little bit about you before we get started so everybody knows why you're here nick is a yoga therapist ciuit yin yoga teacher trainer and yoga business mentor she lives in victoria on vancouver island and has been practicing yoga since 1998 and she's been teaching since 2004 in 2007, she found yin yoga and has been studying with Paul Grilley ever since. And in addition to her other trainings, she's also completed 23 hours of Chinese medicine studies and 360 hours of biomedical studies at Pacific Rim College. So she comes to us very well documented, very well trained, and I can't wait to pick her brain about all things therapeutic yin yoga and we may even talk a little bit about the difference between yin and restorative because that question seems to come up a lot so love to kind of dive into that tell us a little bit about your yoga journey
2: from the very beginning you mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know maybe not the very beginning I don't know if it's this way for you but for some people there was those little toes in the water but didn't really quite Oh, so yeah, just start from where you feel like yoga became an important part of your life. From the first class, Mm -hmm. my,
2: my friends, I was a hairstylist at the time and my friends, one of them thought it would be a great idea for us to all go to this Monday morning, six week registered beginner yoga thing together as a group and I'm not a morning person, and Mondays are your day off as a yoga teacher, or as a, uh, as a hairstylist, sorry, so I was less than enthusiastic about this idea of, like, getting up on Monday morning, and getting, and I, and I you know, at the time, the only yoga I had been exposed to was, and I'm tr- I won't say her name right, Lilith, maybe, you know, the PBS special with the, right, Lilius. so
0: that's, yeah, Lilith, so
2: that's, you know, the, the, the silhouette of the woman in the unitard doing a sun salute was my only reference for yoga. And I'm a lot more sort of heavy music, punk rock kind of kid. And so like that didn't look at all cool to me. Like I had zero interest in that. So when she said, let's do this on Monday morning, I was very resistant and just kept saying no. And then finally she said, okay, I'll come pick you up and I'll bring you a latte.
0: And so I was like, all
2: right, if you save me travel time and you caffeinate me on the way, I'm in. And so we signed up for this. I think it was a six or an eight week beginner yoga series. And from the very first class, I was hooked immediately afterwards. I said, I'm going to do yoga forever. And I'm, I think the only one of the group There was one other girl who is also a yoga teacher, but other than that, the rest of them just kind of were like, that was fun, let's do a cooking class later. And I was like, no, yoga forever. Because what I realized is that, I didn't know this at the time, I didn't know this till years later, that I have a form of anxiety, which is sometimes referred to as high functioning anxiety, which is why it took so long for me to realize that that's what it was. And that yoga class was the first time in my whole life where like that chatter stopped. And I was just fully present with my body and with my breath. And I was just like, I want more of that. So I was hooked immediately. What kind of class was it? I would say this is before everybody labeled everything. Mm -hmm. So I would say it was probably gentle Hatha would be the closest. It was taught by a lovely older woman and it was definitely still strong, especially if you're, you're new, like, it's not like it was a restorative class or like so gentle that I wasn't working but it, it certainly wasn't extreme or it wasn't a flow class. And she just had such a lovely way. I don't remember her whole thing that she said at the beginning when we got into Shavasan, but she talked about this little house in her heart with a little light in it. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> so yeah. So I, I did that whole series and then I just kind of kept coming back. I didn't stay with Monday morning when everyone else was gone and the lattes and the door to door service was gone. I, chose one that worked better for my schedule, but I, I kept going and tried different teachers and did that for several years.
1: And yeah. So then how did you find yin yoga?
2: So after many years studying yoga as just as a student, as a hairstylist, I had a lot of work-related injuries and they were starting to affect my ability to earn a living. And so I realized that I was going to have to come up with plan B for a career and I was already teaching in hair. I was teaching advanced hair color technique and color theory and things like that. And so I just kind of thought, well, if I already love teaching and I love yoga, like this seems to just make sense. So I did my teacher training and I finished that in in 04. And then a couple years in, I still felt like, I think like a lot of teachers do when they leave their first teacher training, that they don't have enough sequencing knowledge and they don't have enough anatomy knowledge. Those are the two that I always hear. And so I was just at a bookstore and stumbled across Paul Grilly's DVD, Anatomy for Yoga. It wasn't a yin DVD, it was just anatomy and bones and skeletal variations. And I watched that and my mind was blown because it explained so many things in my body that that even my senior teachers could never explain when I would ask them. When I would say, why is it that when you say this to do this action with my hip, it actually feels the opposite in my body and they just didn't have answers. So that blew my mind and it started changing the way I looked at my own body and my student's body when I was teaching, moving away from this sort of one size fits all queuing that I was initially trained with. And so I, you know, did that for a couple of years. And then in 2007, I was just walking down the street and there was a studio I never even go into. This is why I think sometimes things are just kismet. I never even go into the studio. I just went in to see if they had bolsters for sale. And on the cork board, there was a poster of Paul Grilly saying that he was coming and he was teaching this Yin Yoga workshop. This is when Yin was quite new and he was still kind of touring around. And I had no idea what Yin was, really didn't care. I just saw his head on a poster and was like, that's the guy from my DVD. I'm totally doing that workshop. So I signed up for it, having no idea what Yin was, just thinking you know, if his DVD had affected me that much, like what would it be like to study in person? And that was my introduction to Yin. And I, again, was, was hooked right away. Yeah, it was just, of course, there was a lot of things I was worried about in the workshop. He did do a heavy dose of the anatomy in the workshop as well, which was really cool. Um, But once I got over the fact that yin is done differently and it feels different and the after effects are different, I just, again, fell in love with the style, not just as far as the, the physical practice, which was super helpful because I actually am unlike most yoga teachers in that, like, I don't come from a super bendy body. I come from a very sturdy former bodybuilder body. So the sense of space that it created in my body was just beautiful. And I really liked the meditative aspect of it and then the effect on my nervous system as well. And so definitely as someone, myself who has had anxiety their whole life, a style of yoga that's quite vigorous and where you're like coming up off the ground a lot and you're standing a lot, it's actually just aggravates my anxiety. Whereas styles where you can kind of get down on the ground and feel the earth and spend more time in your poses are really nurturing for me. So I fell in love with the practice after that workshop, I bought all his DVDs and his books and his things and started doing it just a couple times a week, you know, as well as my hatha practice and and I would be like I'll do a hatha practice then the next day I'll do a yin practice or I would pull it out anytime I wasn't feeling well or I was tired or if I was you know PMSing or something I'd be like okay we're gonna do yin instead and it just grew and grew from there. Eventually at one point I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and I was still a full-time teacher teaching 10 classes a week so it was very hard for me, but I had to let my active practice, home practice go because the all the energy I had was showing up and demonstrating a pose on one side and getting out. Like that was like for 10 classes a week. That was all I had. And so my practices for a couple of years became exclusively yin and restorative, which once I got over all the voices in my head about that was was exactly what I needed, of course. And so that's when I really started to dive deep into the practice and then sought out going to do his teacher trainings.
1: Yeah. I love what you said about bodybuilding. My husband used to lift weights a lot and he would have a lot of hip pain and he would have just a lot of different things going on. And when he started practicing yin, he really got a lot of relief. And I think we discount the fascia when we're thinking about training our muscles and training our body. And we don't really think about that, that layer. So we can talk about that a little bit too, if you want to, but I'd love for you to share what makes yin yoga yin for people who maybe aren't as familiar with it. What is yin yoga?
2: Mm. So I first should just, um, specify that I'm, when I talk about yin yoga, I'm talking about the style that's taught by Paul Grilly. So everything that I say about yin yoga, it should have a little brackets with a G behind it, (laughs) Um, just because Paul intentionally chose not to trademark it, which in the bigger picture of, of life and yoga is a beautiful thing, right? Because none of us own yoga, Mm -hmm. but from a business perspective and for his teachers, it's actually kind of made it harder because really anybody can say they're teaching Yin, and what one and a lot person's of people teaching, do, right? And what one person's doing is like night and day from another, so it can get very confusing. So I just want to be clear that when I'm talking about what Yin yoga is, I'm talking about the grilly version. So a few things: a lot of times teachers will say that oh, Yin yoga is just like regular yoga but with longer holds. It's like no, <laughs> no, no, no. And often you don't. Realize, I think, as a teacher, how different it is until you take a good yin training. And then you realize all of the things you were leaving out when you were teaching yin. So I will say that. And basically, it's a floor based practice with long holds. You're not going to your maximum, even though, unfortunately, a lot of the yin community uses the word edge, which I think is unfortunate because it denotes. To most people something that actually isn't what yin is and so you don't go to your maximum amount i say 50 to 60 percent and then you hold for a longer duration of time anywhere from two to five minutes after that hold inevitably if you've gotten into your deep fascia you're probably going to feel the urge to sort of moan and groan a little as you come out you're going to be moving slowly it's not going to be a quick jump out of your pose situation. So you do that and when we take the time to notice what my teacher calls the rebound, but I prefer to call the resonance or the linger of the pose in your body. So when you come out of a yin pose, it's not at all unusual to feel this very unique and kind of hard to explain, although I'll try sensation in your body that is very unique to yin that I have never experienced in any other style of practice. So if i had a gong in the room with us right now and i struck the gong really loudly just once good firm strike initially that sound would be huge it would fill the space that we were in and even if you couldn't hear it you would feel like the vibration on your skin and in your body there would be that you know resonance of the gong and then over the course of a minute it fades and fades and fades and fades and fades and fades slowly until Either it's way off in the distance and you can't hear it or you can't hear it at all. So this is my not so cleverly disguised metaphor for what come, what happens when you come out of a yin pose. Initially, there is that like, whoa, holy, this is like very different. And then over the course of the, the little rests, which are key in yin, and if somebody isn't allowing opportunities for that rest, then I think they're missing something in yin. That little rest time is an opportunity for us to just A, to notice how has our body changed from the moment I walked in the room till now? How has my body changed from the moment I came into that pose until now? How is my body different from that first groan when I rolled out of the pose until now and now and now? And then it's also an opportunity for us to embrace the space between no longer and not yet, which as humans, most of us suck at, right? Because we're always (laughs) going from like one thing to the next thing to the next thing. So it's, an, it's a conscious chosen opportunity to just be in, the, in your body and noticing what is happening and also how it changes over that time. So that's one of the things, for example, if somebody doesn't have a good yin teacher training, they'll either not include that rest at all, or they kind of brush over it like it's like some kind of unnecessary accessory. And I've heard my teacher, Paul, say, and I agree with him that actually that is what makes it yin taking that opportunity to rest to notice to go inward and to uh, and to be is what makes it that deep dive in practice as opposed to sort of more of an external practice
1: and i love that time that when you stop and you start to just notice and you're just feeling like what that felt like or what it feels like and what changes came about and that curiosity for what's going on in the body, I'm always just so fascinated with the, with interoception and digging in and tuning Mm -hmm. into those feelings. Yeah. So no, but what's the difference? I get this all the time between yin yoga and restorative yoga. And then where does therapeutic yin come in there? So yeah, the difference between the two. And then I want to hear about the therapeutic aspect.
2: Okay. Sounds good. So I've, I also wrote a blog post about this that goes over it in more detail, the difference between yin and restorative, and I can send you the link. So if you want to include
1: Yeah, that. we can put that in the show notes.
2: Then people can read it. If part of the problem with this question is that people don't have an understanding of what is restorative yoga, and they don't have an understanding of what is yin yoga. Because if you really understand those two, it's quick, the difference is quite clear. But what happens, unfortunately, especially with newer teachers that don't have a lot of training in these areas is people think as soon as you pull a yoga bolster off the prop shelf that suddenly you're doing restorative yoga. It's like, no, that's a yoga prop. doesn't mean that it, you're now doing a restorative pose, right? So when I wrote this article, I actually, I also want to clarify the definition of restorative yoga that I'll be using is from who's known as the restorative queen, Judith Hanson Lasseter because I reached out to her when I wrote the blog post, because I thought, well, if there's anyone who's, you know, in our industry, really ideally suited to speak to like, what is restorative yoga, it would be her. And I got a direct quote, which I'll share with you. So she says, restorative yoga is the use of props to support the body in positions of comfort and ease to facilitate relaxation and health. Restorative yoga is about opening, not about stretching. I think that part is good to read again. Restorative yoga is about opening, not about stretching. Although sometimes poses may create a very slight stretch, the stretch is never the intention at all.
1: Mm, I love that. And also those two words, comfort and ease. Exactly. Because yin isn't (laughs) comfortable or easy. (laughs) No. Like there's no, I mean, I shouldn't say there's no comfort, but. But some of those postures are very challenging. And just, if, you're, if you want to have a discuss or you want to hear a discussion about that, last week's episode with Kaya Midland, we talked about what is advanced yoga. And so we kind of go into the, those definitions of what is challenging and, and advanced. But yeah, I love the words comfort and ease.
2: Yeah. In so describing restorative. Yeah, go ahead. Restorative is all about your nervous system. Like the whole intention in restorative is to prop you up to the point where you don't feel anything. And if, if you've ever been in a really restorative class, like they'll even put little things under your wrists so they don't reach the floor. And like, it's very, very propped. And the whole intention is the nervous system. And also they hold the poses way longer than Yin. So like 20 minutes, you know, like I think the shortest restorative one I've ever done in a, in a true restorative class has been like a 15 minute hold. That would not be something you would do in a yin practice. So, you know, between 15 to 30 minute holds and really allowing yourself to get so comfortable. Also, the mind isn't really directed in any way in a restorative practice. You're just creating space for healing, essentially, and whatever that happens to be. And can you talk about, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say, whereas in yin, now I have to watch this and be very clear here because people will jump all over this if I don't. In yin, you are going to feel sensation. All yoga teachers listening, please notice I said sensation, not stretch, because the next thing somebody's gonna say is, well, what about people that are hypermobile and shouldn't be, okay, we're not even gonna go there, because I'm not talking about stretch. Sometimes it is, like in in people that are not hypermobile yogis, it's definitely stretch, right? People like your husband, he's feeling a whole lot of stretch, I'm sure. And sometimes the sensation is the movement of chi, Sometimes it's the feeling of the earth beneath your body, but the mind is being sort of gently directed to things, not just sort of, depending on the teacher, of course, not just sort of left wide open. And as you mentioned, the poses are not easy. Uh, We're only holding for, you know, two to five minutes at a time. Generally speaking, people that have been doing in for a long, long time, especially teachers, may gradually increase that, but in an average class, you're not going to be holding things longer than five minutes. And the intention is different. You know, it's not about just sort of having your yoga vacation on your mat, like it is in restorative, nothing wrong with that. I love restorative yoga, but this is a, this is, yin is a practice that will challenge you. It will challenge you, not necessarily just physically, which some sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, especially for practitioners that have been doing yoga for a long time, they're kind of in their, ver- their version of a full pose. They're not going any further. So at that point, they're gonna be focusing on the more subtle aspects, like the maintaining the health of their tissues, the more meditative aspects and being able to be present. Sometimes you will feel sensation, but it could be the sensation of stretch. It could be chi. It could be, you know, the earth beneath you. It's an opportunity also to really deeply look at the mind. Because when you're in a movement-based practice and the teacher is saying, you know, put your foot here, extend this, do this, root this, there's a lot for the practitioner to focus on. That pulls them out of, hopefully, the thinking, planning, obsessive mind. In yin, you don't have that. You have the teacher saying, here's how we can come into the pose. Here's some variations. All right, y'all, have fun with that. And so it can be very challenging because of course that's, I know so many people that didn't realize they had a circus going on in their mind until they started practicing yin and saw, oh, here we go, the circus is happening, right? So I always tell my students that the thinking and the planning and the list writing and the analyzing and the ruminating and the obsessing and the criticizing and the itching and the bitching and the twitching and the storytelling, all happens in yin and it's normal and everybody has this experience. But it really is an opportunity to do a, a, a physical practice, but while doing it to really cultivate introspection and that meditative mindset of noticing when the mind has left your body again and just going, oh, there we are. We're off again, let's come back. So a couple of Yin's nicknames are the quiet yoga and the meditative yoga. So the differences from the outside, you can you can tell as far as how many props. So I can show you, I could see two people, even models, in poses and tell you which one was restorative and which one is yin, just from the outside. But that's because this is my area of expertise. But sometimes as teachers, you won't know because it's what are they feeling? So if they're feeling a stretch, they're not doing restorative. They need more props. If they're feeling a stretch perhaps and they're on a prop, it happens to be maybe a yin pose. And the props in yin are optional. Now, I'm just gonna say that as a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist and someone who wants to make things accessible, I don't think props in any style of yoga are optional, period. Right. I, think, I think we should always have a bunch of props, regardless of what kind you're doing to support people and to get people more comfortable. But that being said, if you look at almost any yoga, yin yoga book, there's not prop insight. So a lot of times people think you need props to do yin. That would depend on the body and the pose. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. So those are some of the major differences.
1: Yeah, well, so let's talk about therapeutic yin because I always had an understanding that yin is something you do for healthy tissue. Restorative is is something that you do for tissue that needs regeneration or rejuvenation. So where does therapeutic yin come in?
2: Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because that title I actually resisted for a long time. I didn't want to sort of separate the yin that I was doing from sort of what everyone else was doing. And the reason was because in my opinion, I think all yoga should be leaning towards therapeutic and accessible. So it's like, why do I need to say that, well, I'm doing this, you know, I just didn't feel that. But I started teaching the yin module at a yoga therapy college, and they started just automatically calling what I was doing therapeutic yin. And so I was a little bit resistant to be honest, but once I taught that module a few times, I did realize there was definitely some key differences. So one is I think because as, once you become a yoga therapist, you see the whole world of yoga through that lens. Like you can no longer ignore what you know. So everything changes. So one of the things that I would say is that most yin teachers you'll hear, read in book or hear people say, to come to 70% of the maximum you could do in the pose. And I actually backed that off of quite a few years ago to 50 to 60%. And the reason for that is because we as culturally are taught to push ourselves and to be, especially in other styles of yoga where, especially if people have, you know, they have handstands on their vision boards and like, they're very like, you know, I'm here to accomplish this pose. I wanna get to the full pose. And so that sort of A-typeness, I guess you could say, that runs rampant in our culture. If I say do 70%, they're doing 90 to 100. And I would see this all the time. I mean, I would see people like white knuckling it through their yin. And and then realize, and then, you know, trying to explain to them that actually you're not affecting the deep fascia by doing that. Also your nervous system is like going crazy. And so like, let's just, you know, let's just back it off a little bit. So I started saying 50 to 60% as a rough guideline. Assuming, of course, that someone feels sensation in the post. Some people might not because, again, they're already op- as open as they're going to be. And in that case, they're just maintaining and enjoying you know, themselves and dealing with this, the mind, which is the tricky part. So that's one difference. I, I intentionally got people to back off because I noticed that people were constantly pushing. When I took my yoga therapy training and I was in my trauma module, I remember feeling like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can make yin trauma-sensitive. And according to the trauma center's definition, I actually, you actually can't, neither can you'd say restorative or is, which is, you know, they have a very specific definition, but I could make it more trauma. And that comes across in everything that I do, which affects not only the setup of my classes, like as far as how people, you know, are set up, the words I use, the fact that I let people know when I'm moving around the room. I mean, I would say I'm hands-off, but I've never actually met a properly yin teacher who actually is doing adjustments. So if someone is doing adjustments, please know that's something they brought into their yin. That's not yin. Um, (laughs) Paul and Susie never touch us in classes unless we we need something. Like if we're like, I can't get comfortable, they may come over and, you know, offer a prop or an, an idea, but like they, they don't, you know, come around and manhandle and handle us. So, so I don't mean that in trauma-informed, but the way I set up the room, the words I choose to use, a lot of the words that were taught to me uh, that yin teachers use a lot started to feel like they didn't quite fit for me, not only in my own body, but like they didn't feel trauma-informed. And, you know, I'm certainly not criticizing my teacher. He is he is teaching from his own experience and he is a white male and he's a little older than me and so his words are his words right but for me they felt kind of triggering and almost a little bit too masculine so words like the target area is you know it's like ooh, if you were working with vets and stuff like do you want to use the word target i, I don't <laughs> know about things like that you know no. <laughs> yeah words like come to your edge we just think about the word edge. I mean, that already puts me on edge, just that word alone, you know, what has edges, swords, knives, cliffs, none of those do I want to be anything, you know, near <laughs> any. So just words like that, I started hearing them from a new perspective and thinking, okay, well, what do I do with this? And so the last training I was in actually with Paul, I, I brought this to him and I just said, you know, this, this is where my studies have gone. And a lot of these words are not resonating with me. And I think they could be problematic for my students. And he did what he always does because he's so incredibly humble and open. He was like, "Hmm, well, you should just use whatever words work for you and your students. Like it's a no, like he's not at all attached to like, you know, having his, his finger and everything. Right. So (laughs) yes, exactly. He's like, well, then you should change that, you know, And so I did, I started shifting my languaging. The other thing is I've always been a bit of a props queen because my very, very first training was Iyengar. So I've always known where to put a block and a bolster and a blanket, like that's been easy. And then when you add my experience with Paul and skeletal variations, it's like now I really have the opportunity to make these poses so much more accessible. And that's how I train my teachers as well. It's like, okay, if their knee isn't resting on the floor here, what could you do here? And so it's, it, there's a big focus on, yes, we're going to feel challenged in the yin practice for sure, but can we get as comfortable as we can be so that we can take that sigh and sort of let gravity take over instead of sort of holding. So keeping it accessible, using the props. And also, although yin by its nature is an, I would say is an interoceptive practice because that's always sort of top of mind for me as a yoga therapist, I really guide people that way very intentionally and clearly and again and again. So I probably, you know, focus on that a lot more than you would get in, you know, in a non-therapeutic class. And then the last thing I would say is the nervous system, to me, is always the biggest player. And so, you know, I'm always I first of all, I start with a good dose of a grounded centering, and it's probably about eight, nine minutes long of like people just being in constructive rest and listening to my voice and moving in from the layers of like the sounds to the sensations inward before we even get into a pose. So that's setting that stage and then constantly guiding people back when when where they're being pulled out again, back into that inner experience. I love
1: constructive rest. i. Everybody gets it. We had a joke in yoga therapy school you get constructive rest, you get constructive rest. Everybody, <laughs> I totally. even made a meme with Oprah, you know, because it was just, it's, it is just such a great jumping off point, I think, for anyone. Yeah. And I, something crossed my mind based on something that you said about the therapeutic yen. And, you know, I, I was thinking about, well, if there's tissue damage, it's not therapeutic, but then when you think about the nervous system application of yin or, you know, the nervous system, what it gets from the yin and that, I I would consider that definitely hugely therapeutic.
2: So- And as a yoga therapist, and and as I train my teachers as well, there's tissue damage, that's a no-go zone. So Mm -hmm. like, if they can't do the pose, Because there's tissue damage, it's my job to know what else can I give them? Or could I put a blanket under that knee or could I put a block here so that they're not going into that area of damage or into an extreme um, range that's causing them pain. And I think this is one thing that is often misunderstood. And this could be a whole podcast, so we won't get into it too much, but like there's a big difference between somebody who has, and I'm going to use air quotes here, perceived hypermobility. Versus somebody who has tissue damage in a joint and actually has hypermobility, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not the same thing. And they often get lumped together in yoga as like the same thing. And they're not. Somebody can have an unstable joint due to an injury. Of course, I'm going to support that joint, right? In any practice, whether I'm teaching my therapeutic or Hatha or Yin, it's like, that doesn't change. As a yoga therapist, I'm going to always be looking for where can I support them? if there is damage or what else can i give them to do instead because there's always other options but that's in any style of yoga but for some reason it comes up a lot in yin i think people think that another big misconception in yin is that everyone's just laying around and hanging out in their joints it's (laughs) not at all what's happening in this practice yeah
1: yeah and you mentioned the Interoception, and I think as yoga therapists, that's something that we're really trained to do is to teach our clients to use their own interoceptive awareness to lead their practice, to guide their practice, rather than us putting them necessarily in the practice. Exactly, yeah. And
2: one of the things that I love about Paul's work in skeletal variations is that as a teacher, it gives you that clarity of like oh, I can't say, like, so when a student says to me, am I doing this right? Which happens, <laughs> right? Am I doing this right? I, my answer is, I don't know, what are you feeling? Are you? <laughs> I was like, what, what are you feeling here? Like, are you feeling sensation in your body that feels like stretch and you're feeling like it's moderate and you're okay with it? Then good for you. If, are you feeling pain? Are you feeling nothing? Like, there's no way for me to look from the outside at somebody and say, you're not doing that right. Unless, you know, it's a yin class and they're doing handstands or something. I could clearly say that's not a yin pose, but I mean, there's <laughs> that no is way not for- an expression of this pose. <laughs> right. And then also considering that I'm always handing that introceptive and that permission back to them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm there to guide them. Absolutely. But it's, it's their job with my help to go back to, okay, well, what am I feeling? How does this feel for me? Is this something I want to do is, is there another option? I think sometimes as teachers, we think that we have to like sort of be little like bossing people around all the time. It's not that way at all, you know? I often yeah. will joke that my classes are choose your own adventure. You know, it's like, you can do this, you could do this, you could do this. Here's some prop options. If none of those work for you, let me know. We'll come up with another plan, you know?
1: And that can be unsettling when people aren't comfortable making those choices. I had someone I was teaching at one of the Senate buildings in DC and I could tell this one girl when I first started she wasn't really vibing with me but I was there and it was the class right well then after some amount of time we ended up meeting up for lunch one time to discuss a condition that she has and and she said to me, when you first started, I didn't know. I just, I, I couldn't understand why you kept saying, if this feels right, or if that feels right or do what, you know, you feel like doing, I just wanted you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about that uncertainty that maybe people feel when they're given all those choices or have you experienced that when in your teaching?
2: I don't experience it too much because I tell them where, and so instead of using the word targeted area I don't use that word I say intended mm-hmm. area so I say we're doing this pose for the hip butt IT band zone and so they kind of know where they where we're hoping to feel it now that doesn't mean everyone's going to feel it again it's people that are quite open might not but I explain that and that's very rare I know as yoga teachers we always think about the hyper and the hypermobiles because most yoga teachers are but when you're teaching the average public yoga class they're anything but highly flexible, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'll usually say, this is the intended area. If you're not feeling that, let me know. And they might not be feeling it because they're already so open or they just need a different version. And so we just play with it. Like I'm very playful and curious. I don't expect to have all the answers. I just say, oh, what if you tried putting your foot here? What if you tried using this block? How does it feel now? And that's always my question. How does that feel? Better, worse, indifferent? I'm always just coming back to to them. And I also explain in my classes, I mean, I do this all very lighthearted, kind of a joking way that like, there's no one size fits all yoga pose in here. There's no right way in this room to do a yoga pose. If you're doing a pose and you're in pain, we're doing it wrong. Otherwise everything else is like open to interpretation. And, you know, I often crack jokes about the fact that You know, we can look at the people's outsides and we can say, you know, for example, I could look at you and say, you have light colored eyes, your hair is light, my eyes are dark, my hair is purple. You know, I can see the obvious differences between the way we look on the outside, but yet somehow we think once you zip the skin off, then on the inside, our bones are all the same. (laughs) And like, that's not at all the case. And so I make a big point of educating, especially if someone's new. In my drop-in class, I don't teach a lot of drop-in classes, I much prefer registered, but I do have a couple drop-ins at a local studio here. And one of the things I'll do at the end of constructive breaths before I get them to move is I'll say, if you're new to Yin, can you put one hand on your belly? If you've got experience in Yin, please put your hands at your sides. Just so that I can then scan the room and even just know like how much talking about this do I need to do? Because if everyone's got experience, there's gonna be a lot more quiet time. If like half the room is like brand new. I'm going to use my words more. And then I think the other thing is that as yoga teachers, we've probably all noticed that sometimes you have to speak to something happening in the room just because it appeared, you know, like it, it's not like a script you have in your back pocket, but like something happens, you know, I remember very clearly teaching a candlelight yin class, a drop-in. It was a very full class. It was It was, it was a free sample class for the anniversary of the studio. And That was a great way for me to test out this candlelight yin theory I had. Turns out it's a hit. And so, you know, there was a woman that no matter what I said was just pushing herself, pushing and pushing and pushing. And I mean, I had said, to because I was taught, you know, you kind of educate to the whole group several times before you kind of go to one person and say, so, Hey, um, and so (laughs) I I was really
1: talking to you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I'll even do that. So, you know, I had already given general directions about the 50 to 60% and back off. And this might be unfamiliar, but like, try it out. And, you know, I'd already done that twice. I had even done the, and if you think right now, she should keep saying this. Is she talking to me? It could be, I'm talking to you, you know, like I'm very comical with it and still it was going on. And so I thought, okay, I mean, you could argue I should just let her have her experience, but I was actually at the point where I think she was not only missing the point, not getting the benefits of yin, but also perhaps risking injuring herself because she was so hard on herself and like just pushing. And so sometimes, you know, you just have to trust your instincts. And so I went up to her, which was hard to do because it was very full class and just said, hi. And then I said, I'm wondering what would happen if you gave yourself permission to do less? And that was all it took. She was just like, whoa, thank you. And she just softened. And the whole rest of the class looked different for her because she wasn't hearing this whole, you have permission to do less, back off. It's okay, take a prop, you know, like we're not trying to get anywhere. I often crack jokes about how, you know, putting your knee on your, your head on your knee in a forward bend doesn't bring you enlightenment. So like, can we just relax our hands? And, you know, like I use humor a lot. Which I think for me works well.
1: I think but that's I think it's important. Just, you
2: have to speak to it. If you see it happening, you have to speak to it.
1: yeah, yeah, i I love using humor when I teach too, because I think it diffuses a lot of tension for people who are new and it just kind of can make everyone feel comfortable. And then, you know, some people don't get you. but you know we we have that in all aspects of our yoga teaching, right? Sometimes people connect, sometimes they don't. So let's talk a little bit about contraindications of yin. Who mm. shouldn't do yin? Or or what types of conditions might need special care if they're practicing yeah. yin?
2: There's, there's a couple. So I'm not going to use the word hypermobility in the way that most yoga teachers think it means, which means I look at that person on their mat, they're bendier than me, they must be hypermobile. That is <laughs> not... As as yoga educators and especially as yoga therapists, we need to do better than that. We need to have a better definition of this. So hypermobility is a term that's often used when people feel like someone has a larger range of motion than average. Notice I said than average. It might be a totally healthy range of motion for them in their body or it might not, we don't know, right? That's not something we can decide. So I just wanna be very clear that sometimes people to somebody could appear to have hypermobile joints and they're perfectly healthy and their joints are perfectly healthy. So that's not contraindicated for you. But what, where we can have some issues is with conditions like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and conditions like that. So connective tissue disorders definitely in that family, which I'll maybe just give a very brief definition in case people have never heard of that. It's um, a group of genetic connective tis- tissue disorders that could be inherited. They don't know for sure and are varied both in how they affect the body and in their causes. So symptoms could be joint hypermobility. That's just like one little branch on the tree. Skin hyperextensibility. So if you pinch skin and it can go, if you can, if you want to Google it, you'll see it. You'll see images. So skin that can be stretched way further than normal, tissue fragility, complications can include aortic dissections, joint dislocations, scoliosis, chronic pain, early osteoarthritis. And so... That is a very different thing than me looking at someone next to me who appears to be more flexible and saying, oh, you're hypermobile. So I just want to say that when we're using these words, we need to be very clear, especially if we're communicating with other medical professionals, right? Who actually know what these things mean. So if somebody has an Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or that family, it's not ideal that they do yoga, that they do yin. That being said, it showed up in my room. And then for those people, I just prop the crap out of them. So really, they're in my yin room, but they're doing more like a restorative mm-hmm. practice. And, and you may not know, people might not tell you. I was lucky that the, the woman that I worked with for a long time, she told me, and I said to her, well, you know, yin isn't an ideal practice for you. Like, why do you keep coming to my yin class? And she said, because you're my teacher. And I was like, oh, okay, well, then- you get all the blocks and the blankies and the bolsters. And so like, you can come and be here if you are benefiting from the community aspect, from my voice, from whatever it is. I don't know why she said I was her teacher. If that's benefiting you, great. But I'm going to call out specific extra instructions for you to like prop yourself. So she was really doing a restorative practice in my yin space. So that kind of syndrome, that family of syndromes, yin is not recommended for them they will come into your class. They may not even tell you if, you know, I mean, if if you're working therapeutically with somebody, you'll have an intake. So you'll be able to see that. And then you can just, it starts with education. You can just say, you know, for you, a restorative practice would actually be better, you know? So that's one. The other one is postnatal. And this one comes up a lot. And there's a lot of controversy about this because a lot of yin teachers who have had children did yin right after birth and then will say that this is all a bunch of bs and you know i have not had a child so i cannot speak from that perspective but i do know that in my my prenatal and postnatal training the hormones that are associated with getting your body loose enough to push that baby out are still around for some time after how much time depends on the woman it also depends on how long she's breastfeeding Et cetera, et cetera, And so I usually will say again to postnatal folk, you need a restorative class. You're exhausted. Anyway, go have a nap on some bolsters. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why are you trying to challenge yourself here? Like go, you know, but sometimes the class that you're teaching works for them or what, or they show up and they didn't tell you, and now you now you're dealing with this. So again, the same thing, I prop them up very, a fair bit so that they still get to kind of do floor-based poses and rest, but really they're not, Doing yin. They're doing more of a restorative practice. But I but and I also educate them. I just say, just so you know, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you get time away from the baby. Yay for that. <laughs> However, this practice isn't ideal for you. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, and I'll use their name, I'm gonna offer you extra suggestions when we set these up so that you're more supportive.
1: Something you said kind of goes back to some business talk. <laughs> so I just wanted to bring it up because you said she was coming to your yin class and she just said, you're her teacher, even though yin wasn't really what she was needing and wanting. And Mm -hmm. it goes to that adage about when we're marketing ourselves, we just need to be ourselves because people are buying us. Yeah. They can get what we're selling (laughs) online. They can get things anywhere really, but they're buying us. And I just Mm -hmm. think you are such a beautiful example of, being yourself, being true to yourself, being authentic, and the people who are drawn to you are drawn to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to highlight that. I know we're talking about therapeutic again, but
2: had I been a smarter businesswoman, I probably would have said to her, What do you mean by that? Let me get out a pen. Right. <laughs> market research
1: <laughs> you know. time, market research. Yeah, I was time. like, hmm, What do you mean by it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think it's such a beautiful lesson for us all to really realize that sometimes people aren't coming to us for what we're giving them. They're coming to us because there's something about us that brings them value or that brings them peace, or maybe it's just the way we hold
2: space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, often the feedback I get is that I create a non-pretentious space and that, you know, the jokes are part of that. The props are part of that, but You know, it was funny when you were talking earlier about how some, if some people don't get your jokes, I think sometimes what I notice when I drop a joke is that if they're new to me, sometimes people aren't sure it's okay to laugh in a yoga class. Like you can see them kind of like, look around, like, oh, oh, we could do that here. Like i literally had someone
1: say that to me one time. I've never laughed in yoga like that.
2: Yeah. Joy is, and humor are part of the human experience. So why would they be pulled out of the yoga space?
1: Yeah. I mean, Um, if we're taking away suffering, what are we replacing it with? (laughs)
2: Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Those are the main two, I would say, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, sort of hyper actual diagnosed hypermobility conditions. And that also to say that not everybody will be diagnosed. So we don't always know, but as yoga teachers and yoga therapists, we can't be held responsible for what our students don't know even about their own medical conditions, right? We can only, we can only do what we know. And so if they talk to us, then of course we can make plans, you know? If we don't know, then we don't know. So I would say those are the two major differences. Prenatal, however, is, is fine because by the time those hormones are starting to kick in, they're so big, they're not going in anywhere near even 50% in their poses. They're just kind of like, you know, a forward bend, they hinge at their hips and they're like, and we're done, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's not really an issue. That being said, I will say, and again, I'm not a prenatal expert, but the trainings that I've had... They have said that no new activity in the first trimester or first three months, I think it is for a new mom is a good idea. So if they've never done yoga, even yoga might not be the best idea. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. This is just (laughs) what my training has taught me. So these are the answers I, you know, if if someone who is newly pregnant said, can I come do yin? I would say, well, were you doing it before you were pregnant? (laughs) If so, then come on down. You know, if they weren't, I would say, well, maybe wait, you know. Yeah. That would be for anything.
1: And going back to what you said about that we may not know of conditions and they may not know of conditions. I think that really speaks to the importance of interoceptive awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Them noticing, because they may not know why, but they, if they're really tuning in and being interoceptive, they may notice that something's not quite right. Or if there's a lack of sensation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And. When you continually point them back, when they have questions to their own experience, Mm -hmm. you're giving them permission to notice if something doesn't feel right and then to make a choice. Whereas if they, if they aren't going back into that, you know, if as teachers, you know, someone says, am I doing this right? Say in a yin scenario and you look at them and you're like, yeah, yeah, looks fine. Well, how do you know they're doing it right? Like they have to check that out for themselves, you know? because yeah i mean i'm sure anyone who's had any kind of a a large injury pop up over a long period of time not like a sudden incident there was always little little inklings somewhere that were getting ignored like my neck is really tight it's like you know what i mean that mm-hmm. that happens for a long time before it's like oh now this is a big problem i need to deal with you know so encouraging students to develop that skill keeps them also from, from getting injured.
1: Yeah. Well, is there anything that
2: I didn't ask you about that you feel like you want to mention? I think just the one thing I would say, and it's not always a popular opinion is that if you want to teach yin yoga, if you love yin yoga and you want to teach it, please get a good training. It doesn't have to be mine. Of course, I'm a little biased. I think mine's pretty awesome, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but please do your research, seek out a good trainer because there's so much about it that of course we can't discuss in a in a podcast all of it there's so much about yin that is subtle and nuanced yet very impactful and very different from how you're teaching now and you don't it's a case of you don't know what you don't know so i would say if it's a style of yoga that you really love to practice with yourself that you want to guide people through then please you know make sure you take a good training so that you really do start to understand the difference and how you might teach it differently. Of course, if the the therapeutic leaning of mine resonates with people, they can just find more information. I'll give you a link to my teacher trainings. The one I run on my own, I do them through other other colleges as well as I have my own, you know, I won't even say a date because then this is no longer evergreen, but you know, you can check the webpage, the next date will be listed and anyone who gets on the wait list gets sort of first access to that. So I post it to the people on my wait list first before I, you know, post it on social media or anything else. So if that is something that resonates with you, you can check it out, check out my yin training page, and then just below it at the bottom, enter your name and email, and then you'll know when it opens up. But yeah, that would be my biggest thing is if you're going to teach yin, please get a training in yin. It's the same with any really style you want to focus on. You know, like when I wanted to teach restorative yoga, I took some trainings in depth on restorative yoga. I didn't just sort of like pull out my bolster and my blanket and wing it. Right. Because yeah. then
1: that perpetuates misconceptions about what something is. Yes. Right. I mean, w- if you go to hot yin, hot yin yang, it, it's like, well, I don't know what this is. Right. And then it kind of <laughs> waters down what yin is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's such a great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Did you tell everybody how they can get. Oh yeah. You? If you
2: just go on to nickdanu.com, it's really easy. So N-Y-K-D-A-N-U.com from there, there's like a landing page that says students and teachers. If you click on the teachers one, you're going to be directed to two more buttons. So it's, it's pretty easy. If you just go on to nickdanu.com from there, there's just buttons to click. That'll get you to the right area. And yeah, if you're on the Yin page and the training sounds good and you want to be notified, whether it be now for the next one or the one in the future or the one in the future, just make sure you drop your email while you're there so that you find out first when it opens up.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to be here and share your expertise.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor.
1: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I'm so grateful you were here. Can we take a moment to appreciate Rena Wren for this amazing theme music that's just perfect for me? Madison Crane Marketing for all the great marketing advice. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and let me know what you liked. And come back every Wednesday for a new episode. See you then. Well, that's enough of that.
0: For those of you who stick around until the very end. Thank you. If you love this podcast, I'd be grateful if you gave it a review. It really helps other yin yoga lovers find it. If you've already given a review, would you consider sharing a screenshot in your Instagram stories? And don't forget to tag me at Nick Danu Yoga or at Yin Yoga Podcast so I can share the love. Before I sign off, some gratitude. First, for you, the listener, for spending time with me today. Big gratitude and deep reverence for my teacher, Paul Grilly. Thank you to Fred Westra for the hang-drunk samples. You can hear more of his music by clicking the link in the show notes. A big thank you to my beloved for mixing the intro and outro tracks. And until we meet again, may you be well, may you be content. May you be at peace. May you be free.